Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Well, hello, Grant Memorial. Welcome here this morning. Uh, my name is Cam, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you can believe it, today is the first Sunday of Advent, right? Yes, friends, that means Christmas is right around the corner. And so to prepare ourselves this year to celebrate the incarnation of Christ, we're going to walk through the Advent themes of hope, joy, love, and peace, asking ourselves the question over the next four weeks, where, right? Where is the hope? Where is the joy? Where is the love? Where is the peace in a world that seems to be defined by anything other than these? All the while asking God to make his presence known and to bring about these things in our lives, in our community, in our city, and in our world. Now, in order to do this well, the next four Sundays will look a touch different than our services regularly do, with the message right up front, as some of you have already noticed, to provide time at the back end for intentional prayer and reflection and worship. I hope that this season and this exercise will prove to be a meaningful one for us as a church family and that God will work through us and in us in these gatherings. So to start off, uh, I just want to help get us into the Christmas season by separating the sheep from the goats. You know, the ones who open their presents on Christmas Day and the ones who sacrilegiously open their gifts on Christmas Eve. See, I knew that this would, you know, get us right into the spirit of unity and peace. But all kidding aside, uh, how many here typically open their Christmas presents on Christmas Eve? Okay. And how many here, uh, radiating the fruit of the Spirit, patiently wait to open their presents on Christmas Day? Okay. All right. So we got about a 3070 or something like that. Okay. That's good. Now, I know that I've hidden it well up to this point, but I am one of those who favors Christmas Day for opening gifts, and always have. And my earliest memories of Christmas as a child include waking up at some unspeakable hour on Christmas Day, sitting at the top of the stairs and waiting for what seemed like forever until my parents finally gave the all clear so we could bolt downstairs and, uh, and see all that we had been anticipating for the past 364 days. Uh, perhaps you can relate to this description. Now, regardless of when your family opened gifts, rightly or wrongly, or when you ate food, or when you did whatever you did at Christmas, I'm sure that all of us have similar sorts of memories of this type of anticipation around Christmas time, right? The hopeful anticipation of what is to come. What gifts will be under the tree? What delicious food will be there to be eaten? What adventures were to be had with extended family and friends? You see, Christmas is a season of anticipation, a season where, uh, you know, we learn to hope, where we're encouraged to believe and to have faith. And if you don't believe me, just watch any Christmas movie. Santa's sleigh will only fly if you believe. 
is like a direct quote from like every contemporary Christmas movie, right? And, and while these are wonderful virtues, right, hope, patience, faith, belief, my concern is that as a culture, especially at this time of year, we are all too satisfied to exercise them on trivial things, right? We hope for petty things like toys or gadgets. Our faith is misdirected at simply having a, a really good day or two. We patiently wait for synthetic solutions like happiness rather than true joy, and our belief is far too underwhelming, aimed at fictional characters and clear roads for travel rather than what is true and lasting. And these things that we hope for do not end up satisfying us in the end. And we actually know that they won't, don't we? Because we know that whether or not we give or get that new doll, that new watch or iPhone, it will really not change anything, right? Aside from maybe our credit card statements and account balances. And we know that if even everything comes together for the perfect family gathering, the, the perfect turkey dinner, life will be back to normal on December 27th. And the daily grind will be taking over as our taskmaster once again. Right? Those things in which we place our hope are temporary. And as a result, hope that things can actually change, real significant things, the things that we're designed to hope for, fade away, leaving us numb to really hope at all. You see, as long as my hope is placed in you know, a week off from work, it doesn't take long to realize that my hope is futile because it doesn't last. Next week will come. And each and every passing year, my hope diminishes as it fails to satisfy, leaving me, in effect, with nothing left to hope for. And this is the reality of our world today, beyond merely Christmas time. There is a significant lack of hope in our world because the things that we choose to place our hope in continue to disappoint us. And so the honest answer to this question, where is the hope in our culture, is that there really isn't any. Even in our video today, only one out of four said they had hope for the future. Well, like 1.3, I think, is, uh, you know, the one who's working on 33% hope, right? But, but one in four people that we asked actually had hope for the future, right? And we didn't simply curate those comments, right, to make this point. We simply asked the question. And the most recent statistics bear this out as well. Stats Canada uh, reports a decline in hopefulness across every single demographic in our country over the last six years. Suicide ideation in Canada nearly doubled between 2018 and 2022. Substance abuse and related fatalities are at an all-time high with some uh, digits pointing to over 300% in the last five or six years. Nine out of every ten North American uh, acknowledges that they are worried about the future political landscape. 
As we mentioned a few weeks ago, talking about money, 64% of Canadians believe that the economy will continue to deteriorate further into this next year and beyond. And every second one of us, every second Canadian believes that things are worse now, right now, than they were even one year ago. And that's really something when you think about what was going on one year ago. You see, with all this pandemic talk over the past few years, we've failed to acknowledge the pandemic of hopelessness in our world, which has been growing since before any of us ever even heard of COVID-19. And this, this trend towards hopelessness actually makes sense when you think about where our culture places its hope. Right? If we place our hope in money and the economy declines, it follows that our hope will decrease, right? If we place our hope in the government and our country becomes more polarized and politically charged, it follows that our hope would decrease. When we place our hope in capitalism and industrialization and, and it just creates climate crises and accentuates poverty, it follows that we would lose Hope, And when we place our hope in relationships or positions or talent or health, and these things inevitably change at some point or another, it just follows that our hope would decrease, right? Hopelessness is the natural outcome of placing our hope in that which shifts and changes, right? Hopelessness is a natural outcome of placing our hope in that which will come to an end, And as a society, we have and continue to look for hope in all of the wrong places. This resounding silence in our culture to the question, where is the hope, is sobering. As everything we look to for stability ultimately falls, everything we want ultimately leaves us wanting, and everything we look towards to bring life ultimately dies. Now, how's that for an intro to our Christmas season, right? Merry Christmas, everyone. Don't worry. There is good news. Friends, there is hope because there's more to the story, right? There is an object of hope that Romans 5 verse 5 says will not disappoint And so I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 17, as we seek to find the good news and the biblical answer to the question, where is the hope? So Romans chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 17. This is what it says. Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen has, is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that we would find hope in the pages of your word. Amen. So we're not going to dig, there's a lot in that text, and we're not going to dig in kind of word by word and pull out all of the kind of theological meat in there. We're doing a little bit more of an overview, but, but I think that this text, in, by way of overview, invites us to consider three things. The first thing it invites us to consider is the current state of the world, right? The story that we find ourselves in. And then it invites us to consider what is coming for God's people, right? What we are to put our hope in. And then it follows up by allowing us to consider what hope looks like, right? What hope looks like in the meantime between the now and the then, so let's start with the current state of the world. And a quick inventory of this passage confirms what we've already acknowledged this morning. It tells us that the current state of things is bleak. Verse 18 says that our present state is suffering. Verse 19 says that all of creation feels it. Verse 20 says the world is presently frustrated. Verse 21 says the world is in bondage and is decaying. Verse 22 says the earth groans in pain, not unlike a mother giving birth. Right? And this inventory is not far off the mark. This is not outdated stuff. This is as true today as when Paul wrote it nearly 2,000 years ago. Right? I dare you to pick up a newspaper or to log on to a news website and look for good news. If it's there, it's likely trite, maybe even patronizing, and it's surrounded by other headlines of despair, right? Each page, each click is a groan from our world for the pain to stop, right? Headlines from this weekend alone include new details emerge about Walmart employee who killed six coworkers. Toxic drug overdoses up 300%. Putin's plan to freeze Ukrainians out this winter. Furby Street shooting marks Winnipeg's 47th homicide. Boomers are getting wiped out by inflation and a volatile stock market. And I could go on and on and on. Right? That's quite the state of affairs, isn't it? Right? No wonder hopelessness abounds when we put our hope in what we see around us. Because what we see when we look around ourselves is bondage, is decay, is frustration, is groaning. That is what we see when we take an honest look at the world within which we find ourselves. The Apostle Paul is right. The world is groaning. The world is in painful bondage. The current state of affairs is hopeless that is without Christ you see Paul goes on to say that Jesus Christ provides an alternative way 
right? Hope, real hope is available through Christ. Let's look back at our text in Romans. And in the same way that Paul uh, shared an inventory of our hopeless world, he shares an inventory of what is to come for those who put their faith in Christ. Right, so verse 23 says, we are adopted as sons, children into God's very own family. Verse 17 says that as God's children, we are heirs of God, inheriting what belongs to the Father. Verse 17 says that God's children will share in his glory. Verse 21 says that we with the world will be liberated and brought into freedom. Verse 23 says our bodies will be redeemed. Verse 24 says simply, we are saved, right? What a contrast we see when we look ahead, when we look beyond where we presently stand, right? Yes, the world is in bondage, but through Christ, it will be liberated to complete freedom. Yes, life is difficult now. The words of Paul say, presently we suffer. But because of Christ, our suffering is temporary, while our eternity will be glorious. Yes, today we groan in pain, but because of Christ, the promise is that our groans are heard, that they will one day cease, and and all pain will be washed away. Right, as Revelation 21, 3 to 5 says, He, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. These are words for those who hope in Christ. Church, the amazing truth is that what we see in front of us is not all there is. And so this should go without saying, but Christians should not be counted among the hopeless. Can I say that again? Christians should not be counted among the hopeless. Why? Because our hope is in the one who does not change when everything else does. Our hope is in the one who does not have an end when everything else does. Our hope is in the one who invites us into an eternity with him. Now, for some here, this may be the only thing that you need to hear today. If you know Jesus, if you believe in his name, if you have received salvation through Christ on the cross, there is hope. There is no reason to despair for those who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter where your finances may be, no matter what diagnosis you receive or what tragedy you may need to walk through, we still have hope because we still have Jesus. God is still on the throne and he will be on the throne forever. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul tells the followers of Jesus, the church, That Christians, even in the face of death, right, the greatest enemy, even in the face of death, we do not need to mourn like those who have no hope. 
And a couple verses later, he goes on to share the reason for this. And his reason that we don't need to mourn like everyone else is because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we will be with the Lord forever, 1 Thessalonians 14 and 17. Did you catch that? Jesus died and rose again, and as a result, we will live with the Lord forever. Friends, that is the Christian hope, that this is not all there is. In fact, that's the very definition of hope, isn't it? that one day something will change, right? Something will be different, that something is coming that will change our present circumstances. Well, friends, for the believer, that thing to come is eternal life in the very presence and blessing of God himself. We believe, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, that Jesus, the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, died and rose again. And in doing so, conquered the mechanism, the permanence of death, and made a way for us to follow him into eternal life. Which means that there is hope no matter what we see in front of us. Because whatever it is that we see in front of us, good or bad, is temporary. And what is permanent is eternal life with God. So if you are struggling with sickness or pain, Good news, a day is coming when pain will be no more. If you're struggling with anxiety, good news, a day is coming when all anxieties will cease. If you're struggling with perpetual sin in your life, good news, a day is coming when sin will be extinguished. Church, this is good news. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that he has cleared the path to eternal life and he invites us to follow him there. He invites us to share with him in his inheritance, in his glory, in his freedom, in his eternal love. You see, the real answer, the biblical answer to where is the hope is simple. Jesus Christ According to the scriptures, hope is found only in Jesus Christ. As Acts 14, or Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we are saved. Okay, so Paul, in this text, he outlines the hopelessness of our world without Christ, and he declares the glorious future with him. Right? So we have the now, and then we have the to come. And what Paul does in the midst of these descriptions is he answers the question of what we do in the in-between. Right? How ought we to live in light of what is to come while we're still living in the here and now? In short, he addresses what hope looks like. Right? How do we hope in the meantime? And the first thing that Paul says that hope involves is comparison, right? Hope involves comparing, Uh, holding up what is to come to shed light and give perspective on what is. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, I know 
that the verse says these things are not worth comparing. But that doesn't mean we don't compare. It means that when they are compared, our present realities do not even come close to balancing out our glorious future. Right? When we walk through our present circumstances, hope is resting in the confidence that what is coming is worth it. That what is coming is so much greater. Now, I have no authority to speak on this, but I've heard that childbirth is hard. I think that's safe to say. But here's the thing. I've also never heard anyone post-birth say that the child wasn't worth the pain of the birthing process. No, when it comes to childbirth, from what I've heard, is that the pain of the process can't even be compared to the joy of the result, right? And, and knowing, it is knowing this, knowing the blessing on the other side that allows mothers to get through the pain in the present, right? Now, take that idea and compound it infinitely when it comes to comparing the pain of this life with the joy to come in the glorious future ahead for God's children. Right? As we wait, we are invited to compare our present sufferings with what is to come, to view our current circumstances through the lens of the glory that will be revealed in us. Because if we can see through that lens, we'll have the strength to press on in hope no matter what. Second thing that Paul says hope looks like is anticipation, right? Hope looks like anticipation. Verse 19 uses the term eager expectation. Verse 23 says we wait eagerly when it speaks of hope, right? We are to join this earth, all of creation, in eager expectation of what is to come, right? So that means that we don't just comfort ourselves with the idea of what is to come, but we focus ourselves on what is to come. Do you hear the difference there? We don't just comfort ourselves with what is to come, but we fix our eyes on what is to come. Right? This is a, a sitting at the top of the stairs on Christmas morning, ready to pounce type of hope. Right? This isn't just sitting back and passively waiting with our fingers crossed or our eyes on the second hand on our watches. Biblical hope is active. Biblical hope is intentional. Which means that the glorious future is not an afterthought for God's people. Right? Something that we'll get to eventually or something we can think about later. Right? What we hope for is to be on the front of our minds. We're to think about it regularly. We're to live in light of it every single day. Now, how many of us, though, if we're honest, spend time regularly thinking about eternity, regularly thinking about heaven, the promised future, about what God has for his children? Or are we too busy or too preoccupied or too uninterested to think about our eternal future at all? And I say eternal because we do spend a lot of time thinking about the future, right? We think about the immediate future a lot, don't we? What we're doing on the weekend, 
where our next vacation will be, what we should invest in, which classes we should enroll for, what we need to do to ensure an early retirement, our important meeting tomorrow, right? All things that are certainly more immediate, but infinitely less important. Seems like our future planning or our future pondering has its limits. And most of us do not spend time thinking about the final outcome that is waiting for us and ought to be spurring us on, fueling us every single day. I recently read an essay written by uh, Southern Baptist Seminary professor Dr. Matthew Westerholm that studied the difference between songs used in American churches in the 18th to 20th century and songs sung in the American church in the 21st century so far. Now listen to one thing that he found. He says, among many similarities in content, one difference was striking. The topic of heaven, which once was frequently and richly sung about, has now all but disappeared. What was once the north star for churches, the thing that could be sung about no matter what was happening, the thing that could, could center believers back to hope has become an afterthought, merely a theological detail for many of us as opposed to the central reason to hope for the believer. Right? Have we lost the tradition of eager anticipation of what God has promised? And if so, what do we have left? As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? While our hope, friends, in Christ certainly does make a difference for us today, changes our attitudes, adjusts our outlook, empowers us to live our years here by the Spirit of God. But if, if all this too is temporary, if there's nothing beyond our present circumstances, then it too will not ultimately satisfy. It is not worth our hope. If there is no resurrection, if there is no glorious future, then we have nothing. And so Paul says, eagerly anticipate heaven. Don't become distracted or worse yet, satisfied with this life that is so rife with sin and injustice, but long for what is to come. Think about it and let your hope impact every day. Live each moment in light of the fact that this is not all there is, that there's a glorious future to come bought with the precious blood of Christ. Thirdly, Paul says that hope involves patience. Verse 25 says, if we hope for what we do not yet have, which is the definition of hope, we wait for it patiently. Seems to me uh, like there's a bit of a tightrope here, right? A tightrope to walk between eagerly anticipating and waiting patiently for what is to come, right? Am I the only one who sees that? But that's what we're invited into. Right? We are to desire future glory, to intentionally ponder it, but at the same time, we are to trust in God to bring it about in his timing. Right? God, who is completely sovereign and in control of all things, knows better than we do and will bring everything to fruition in his perfect 
timing. And so while we eagerly wait, like kids at the top of the stairs on Christmas Day, hope involves waiting patiently while we're there as we trust in the one who knows more than us. And fourthly, hope involves groaning. Hope involves groaning. I know that sounds odd, but listen to verse 22 and 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right to the present time. Not only so, listen to this, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Right? Church, hope involves groaning. Right? We, of all people, are to name what is wrong and to lament the present reality, groaning with creation that things are not right. Christians should be the first ones to groan that sin has gripped the hearts of men. Christians should be the first ones to groan and to label disunity and hatred in our world. Christians should be the loudest when it comes to lamenting the fact that the enemy has deceived so many precious souls created in the image of God. Back to the headlines we read earlier. Church, we are not to ignore these things as we happily skip on by with our eyes at heaven. No, those who have a view of heaven the way that things ought to be are the most qualified to assess and address what is not the way it ought to be. We should be broken when we read about the rapid increase in substance abuse in our nation. Right? We don't just leave here, think about what's for lunch, who won the soccer game. Right? We should be broken when we hear this news when we look around and see what's not right. We should be in tears over the senseless shootings that take place in God's world. We should be on our knees about the thousands of souls lost in Ukraine on both sides of the conflict. Right? Because we know that there is another way. There is hope available to those who are acting out of their hopelessness or desperately searching for something that will satisfy. Earlier, we read in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we don't mourn like those who have no hope. But it doesn't say that we don't mourn. We can still mourn. We should still mourn. We should still mourn the state of things. We can still name and lament where we are in light of God's desires for us to be. Because when we mourn, right? Why, why mourn? When we mourn. When we choose not to be numb, but are rather keenly aware of the sin and evil that's rampant in our world, and as we groan inwardly about its reality, it leads us to do something. Right? Those who know what is coming, who eagerly expect and hope for a better day, can participate now in a way that no one else can. C.S. Lewis writes about this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. A part of hoping, church, is labeling the darkness and bringing the light into those places that the hope of Christ would expand and all would come to know it. And this leads us directly into a segment of our service that we're going to participate in throughout the Advent season. Over the next four weeks during Advent, we're going to spend some time as a family in prayer regarding what we're talking about. You see, I think that we would be significantly missing something if we were to acknowledge today that there is hope in Christ and that our world without him is hopeless and then just go about our day without doing anything. And so we're going to pray for the next, I don't know, we'll see, five, seven, ten minutes. And we're going to pray that our neighbors, that our city, that our world would come to know the hope that is only found in Christ. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to turn to the people around you and maybe break up into groups of two or three or four, or whatever you think, however many people are around, and pray that hope would come to the hopeless. And to help you out, we're going to have some prayer prompts up on the screen Right, in case you're unsure about what to pray for or you need the words to say uh, as you pray with those around you. Now, I know that there are some here who are cringing right now. Right? This is not your happy place. This will be very uncomfortable. I encourage you to try to spend some time praying. Right? This is important stuff. But if you really can't, or maybe this is your first time here and you're like, I don't know what I got myself into Uh, just don't make eye contact with people when they're breaking into groups. You can just sit there on your own, put your head down, and and you can pray on your own through the prayer points or you can reflect on what it is that we've been talking about. We're not doing this to scare anybody off or to force anyone to do something that they they don't want to do. We we just don't want to let this moment pass, right? As people who have access to God, we can't decline the opportunity to invite God to intervene in and through us when it comes to hope. Right? There's a hopeless world. There's a God who gives all hope. Let's serve in intercession as a bridge and pray for the people who desperately need the hope of Christ. So take a few minutes and pray together. And in a little bit, um, we'll move into a, a time of worship. Right? The band will come up in a little while and they'll start, start playing and, and give us a chance to actually praise God for hope. Praise God that our prayers can be answered, that God has been listening, and that hope can extend beyond this place to the world that we live in. Okay, so let's break up. Let's spend some time in prayer, and uh, yeah, then we'll worship God for the hope that we have. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca 
or on social media at at Grant Memorial Church. <laughs>